Hello, everyone, and welcome to CGI's latest episode of the What's Happening in Trade podcast. I'm Patrick DeVillis, head of product for Trade360, and I am joined today by a very special guest, CGI's very own Andy Schmidt, vice president uh, in, and industry lead for banking. Um, I just refer to you kind of, Andy, as our guru in the banking world, but thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Great. So, Andy, we've got um, we got a couple of interesting topics to talk about today, and I want to kick us off with maybe a little bit of context because we're going to be talking about and putting this around our voice of the client, uh, which is a survey that CGI puts out on a yearly basis. Um, we go out to all of our our clients that we work with, but I wondered if you could give us a little bit of a context for that survey. You know, what is it? Why do we do it? How do we get the results? Those sorts of things. Any any information you could give us about that? Sure. So, and you know, and before I start, thanks again for having me on. It's a real pleasure to be with you. Um, the the voice of our clients is our annual survey with our, our not, not just our clients but also our prospects to identify what the key trends are uh, within their organizations. And you know, it also helps us identify the attributes of digital leaders and identify the actions that maximize returns on digital investments to satisfy the needs of you know, not just customers, but also citizens as well. And we've been, we've been conducting this survey for, for years. We have well over a million data points. And this year's, uh, this year's survey consisted of almost 1,800 interviews with executives across the industries and geographies that we serve. That's, that's phenomenal. That's, that's just a, um, a lot of data to be able to go through and a lot of data to not just for, for a point in time, right? That ability to go back and talk about what happened in the past also very, very important, very helpful. Um, so let's, let's, you know, with that, that kind of backdrop, let's take it more into the meat of what we want to talk about. So, um, within that context, we ask a variety of different questions about the banking space in particular. Um, and I guess, what have you seen in terms of overall trends in banking and, and maybe more anything more specific in the transaction banking space? Um, what's been happening in that area um, and any, any tie-ins to the world of trade that you can see uh, from an overall perspective, that, that kind of big picture trends in banking? Sure. So the, the, uh, at, the, at the high level, what we've been seeing is an overall push towards digitization over the last few years. Um, you know, moving away from paper-based processes and, and even moving away to a certain degree from in-person meetings. Uh, this was, of course, uh, this was, of course, a, a direct result of the pandemic. And so digitization overall has, has really taken off over the last few years as, as we all uh, identify new ways to work and new ways to connect remotely while still getting business done. Um, in terms of the trade market, the, you know, again, digitization, moving away from legacy systems, trying to have, uh, trying to have real-time information or at least as much real-time information as possible has certainly been a key driver. And when you think about the, the geopolitical stage, um, the trade market has been, um, shall we say, dynamic with the, with the, the war in Ukraine and the, and the supply chain disruptions that were going on uh, before or during the pandemic and beyond. So being able to identify new partners, be able to maximize the, uh, maximize the relationships with existing partners, uh, being able to leverage data 
um, automate as much as possible, move away from manual forms have all been uh, have all been key discussion points as we go towards a you know truly digital, truly twenty four by seven, truly global world. Yeah, we definitely saw you know from our our client base at the start of the pandemic uh, a little bit of scrambling. We were lucky in in terms of what we deploy as a product because it's a, a SaaS. Uh, component. So, you know, our clients kind of just, aside from dealing with some operational challenges, just switched over to, hey, suddenly you got to do this at home more than you do this at work. Um, that's just the, the way it is. You, know, you got access to your digital copies and you follow everything on the trail that's already there. Um, so let, let's shift gears a little bit and um, dig in a bit deeper. Um, and I want to start off by talking about technology and, and, and generally um, digital acceleration. Um, you, you referenced up front uh, as one of the big trends that digitization piece, right? And uh, what it means to the world of trade. How how have customer expectations changed um, in terms of the use of technology and digitization? What what kind of trends have we seen there more recently? Sure. So the what, <clears throat> one of the things that's important to note is that um, is that the corporate and transaction banking world was not very digital at all going into the uh, into the pandemic, um, and so again, lots of lots of paper, lots of face-to-face -face meetings, and when we looked at uh, in 2021, the percentage of corporate and transaction banks that were getting results from their digital strategies, that number was only 17 percent, um, and that was that was the lowest across across the banking world. Since then. Uh, it's grown to 38%. So 38% in 2023, more than doubling over just a, uh, two short years. And now it's now it's actually pulled ahead of the capital markets segment as a, as a uh, you know in terms of digitization, in terms of getting results. Now, when you, you asked about customer expectations, when we talk about banking overall, uh, the retail bank really sets the high watermark for customer expectations. Um, digital everything, mobile everything, 24 by 7 everything, omni-channel everything. Um, and, the, and the corporate and transaction banking space isn't far behind. Uh, the reason for that is twofold. Uh, one, uh, we're all consumers. We're all retail banking customers. And so there's a certain element of that expectation or set of expectations um, that, that translates into the corporate and transaction banking world. Part of that uh, is the is the desire to see everything in one place. Um, so, look, the idea being you could have a central dashboard to see where your cash is, what your loans outstanding are, etc. Um, you know, we can see that largely in the retail banking world. So, the expectation is for corporate and transaction banking to have the same types of things. But the corporate and transaction banking world also has uh, a certain amount of, of complexity that that goes well beyond retail. So, for example, uh, KYC or Know Your Customer, being able to uh, open up new accounts, onboard new subsidiaries, uh, change signatories, those types of things, um, take up a lot of the administrative load for the corporate and transaction banking side of the house. And that's before you get to customer service. So being able to authenticate, being able to digitize, being able to access as much information as possible on as few devices as necessary, are all key drivers within the corporate and transaction banking world as we as we think about digitization overall. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And I think the number of times that we've heard um, from our customers who who say to us, our, our banking customers, who say to us, "Look, you know, if 
XYZ corporate talks to us and says, well, I can do it on Apple. Why can't I do it with you? It's just kind of that expectation. This is how things work in the, the modern world. That's, that's just how it is. It's, uh, it's kind of been interesting to see that shift over time. And I think it's, it's somewhat generational too. Um, so on that note, right, that, that heightened expectation and, and the, the depth to which you have to kind of, and complexity to which in the transaction banking side, you have to manage, um, are, are banks, um, best position themselves to deploy, you know, new technology solutions to address that modernization approach? Um, or you know, should they really be thinking about partnering with fintechs, third-party organizations, um, those sorts of entities as they, they look to advance their platforms and applications? Uh, the, the, the answer is yes. And what I mean by that is that, uh, is that uh, there's certainly, you know, some of the larger banks are, are building their, out their own capabilities uh, because they have the budget to do so. Um, the, there are also a great number of banks that are working with fintechs uh, who are very good on a very specific thing uh, to, to obtain, to provide the, the features, the functionality, the capabilities that their customers are looking for. Um, so, and, and you're also seeing banks working as looking like fintechs in terms of the way they, they cooperate, the way they compete as well. I mean, one area is in the embedded finance segment. So where a bank offers financial services capabilities in a non-financial way. Um, there are certainly fintechs that can do that type of thing, uh, but, but it is a, you know, it is a, um, it is a, a very, shall we say, um, nuanced world in terms of where the features and functionality come from. It's really about identifying what the customer journey is, um, who's got the best parts um, and pieces to help you get there, and then how, of course, you tie it all together. And yeah, secure, I think, of course, sorry. That that mentality has certainly changed. You know, I, I've seen it change anyway in the last you know five to ten years. Right, that that at the outset it was, oh no, these are these are our competitors out there. We can't we can't work with these folks. Um, but it it seems like there's been a lot of opportunity. But to your point you need to think about strategically, right? What, where are you, where are you leveraging those partners? How are you leveraging them? Um, and what may be uh, potentially compromised in the process as you go through that? Um, let me, let me take us in a, a slightly different direction, Andy, and, and talk a little bit um, about ESG um, as a topic, right? So um, I, I think that this was re reported within the survey. There were some questions around ESG yeah, we certainly, certainly in the, the trade world, talk about ESG all the time. Um, in, in terms of rolling out new products um, from an ESG standpoint uh, and, and just interest generally, is there a sync up between what we're seeing in the banking space versus expectations in the corporate world? Or you know, is, is one side ahead of the other? Are clients, corporate clients expecting that you know, there's a plethora of ESG products that are out there to match their needs or are banks rolling out new products that maybe are not necessarily being taken advantage of um, by corporate clients. How is that, how's that kind of aligning at the moment? Yeah, I'd say it's a mix of the two. I mean, there's certainly, there's certainly specialty groups uh, within a number of uh, the larger institutions. There are certainly uh, sustainable corporate loans that exist, even sustainable investment vehicles that exist. And the, and what's important is that the you know the percentage of corporate transaction banks uh, that saw the fight against climate change, including you know including energy transition and acceleration towards carbonization, as having a high degree of impact on their business, rose from 36 percent in 2022 to 
fifty-three percent in twenty twenty-three. So it, it's the uh, it's the biggest jump that we saw in all of banking, um, and uh, and it is uh, and, it, and it's because pressure is coming from multiple different directions. It's coming from the customers of the corporates. It's coming from the regulators of the corporates, um, and it's and it's coming from the clients of the corporates. Uh, so being able to being able to demonstrate that you do have a decarbonization plan in place that you are moving towards a sustainable future are all factors driving the increase in corporate and transaction banking interest and impact in terms of sustainability. And and so then how how far do we have to go in this space, right? Do we feel like we're we're just kind of burgeoning? Do we feel like maybe we've made some headway? But we still have a bit of a ways to go. We feel like we're a bit more advanced, um, you know, where, where do we sit in the scale of um, what we've achieved and what we can achieve? Uh, I would say at the transaction banking level um, uh, across the board. I'd say that we're at the end of the beginning uh, in that we understand that products are needed. Um, and, uh, and, the, and the next stage is really to finance the technologies that will help us get to where we need to be. Um, you know, certainly there, there are a lot of investment dollars out there um, but that is that is slightly different than what we're talking about in terms of loan products. There's certainly a number of uh, there's certainly a number of, uh, of investment products out there. But again, that's different than investing in that next wave of technology. Now, will corporate and transaction banks be the organizations providing services, providing uh, funding, sometimes even providing capital to these uh, to these new firms as they mature? Absolutely. But at the moment, it's really the really the, very much the basics, um, providing funding for greener initiatives, um, working with clients to help uh, to help uh, to help create a, a, green, a greener future, a better carbonization plan. But you know, there are also some opportunities that have yet to be capitalized upon. One is 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 a more sustainable supply chain, and when you consider that uh, that. Uh, the corporate and transaction banks were front and center in terms of helping reconfigure supply chains during the uh, during the height of the pandemic, and to a lesser extent during the Ukraine war. You know, the, these institutions are well positioned to help existing clients and even future clients find more sustainable partners. So, you know, this is one of the many areas where data and ESG policy uh, can intersect with the existing business. And it's, and it's an opportunity for banks of all stripes to figure out how they can make their, their trade capabilities and their, and their customers' trade more sustainable. Yeah, I think overlaying that concept of value add to customers with ESG in the banking space, that's just, that's massive. There's, there's a lot of upside and opportunity there. We, we talk about it. You know, I, I, I feel like I've harped on it a couple of times in the world of trade that you know, trade uh, globally, absolutely critical, critical importance, right? Um, and the role that a trade bank can play as a result could be massive if you so choose to. Um, but, you know, I, I think we're still at the end of the beginning. Good, good way to put it. I think there's still a lot of room to grow, a lot of ground to cover in the space. Um, and more opportunities, more new products and uh, services that will be rolled out over time to address, you know, what is a, a growing need from a market standpoint. Um, and, when figure, and when you figure that trade is one of the truly global businesses, um, you know, it's a, it's a it's a brilliant opportunity to to help make it more sustainable. Yep, a hundred percent, hundred percent. So let's let's um, 
take this in a direct, different direction and uh, talk a little bit about, you know, we spoke earlier on the end of digitization and the impact of um, digitization to customer expectations. I want to talk a little bit about internal um, kind of social demographics and sure. um, what's happening within, you know, in particular the world of trade, but I think it's, it's broader to transaction banking. Um, we talked about it as the, the graying of the industry, that sort of thing. There's a, a whole generation of folks um, that are are moving out that, you know, have, have finally reached a point in their their careers where they're saying, well, I'm, I'm you know, I'm ready to, to retire. Um, and I think what we've seen is that there's a, um, a, a challenge to replace in particular subject matter expertise for those folks. Um, because just the way we structure corporations these days is not quite what it was you know, 30 years ago. Um, the, the learnings aren't the same, the speed with which folks move from job to job um, it is, uh, it's much faster. Um, I guess one of the questions I had was, we seeing technology helping to maybe smooth this transition a little bit sure. um, and prepare the next generation coming in? Uh, yeah, well, yes and no. Um, so there's certainly, you know, insights that we can, uh, that we can create, you know, now with existing technology that we couldn't do, you know, five years ago, let alone 10 or 20. The, the challenge though, is the, is the one that you, is the one that you raised in terms of having that experience. Um, you know, the, the, um, you know, years ago when I was on the, the industry side, the, uh, the, we had a, we're having a conversation about liquidity management. And, the, and the, the feedback that I got at the time was that you needed three ingredients uh, to have an effective uh, liquidity management solution. And solution really is in finger quotes. It was gray hair, gut, and a spreadsheet. Um, those were the three things that you needed. <laughs> And so, and it was the it, and it was the the idea was that you needed the experience um, of multiple business cycles of multiple downturns of multiple even seasons depending on the business to get a sense of what the rhythm of the industry was, and then you needed your gut to tell you when something was off, and you needed the spreadsheet to confirm that, that what the problem was or, or where you might be able to solve it. Now we still have spreadsheets and, 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 and the analytics is getting better year over year, day over day. You're able to tell, you know, what, for example, uh, whether or not, you know, Bank ABC's batch, uh, payment batch has made it to the network yet. And if so, you know, is it late? Is there a problem? Is there something else? Um, and we're certainly able to, uh, and we're certainly able to analyze uh, historical business cycles much better than we were able to in the past. But that, that, that changing of the guard, that that creation of the customer relationship, knowing um, knowing what you know what you've been through with the client to help them in their business, um, is is something that that is you know, largely oral tradition. Uh, some of it may be in the file, uh, but I remember when I was a commercial banker, uh, you often had to read between the lines in terms of what was in the file, um, and the best way to get the information was to talk to the accountant themselves. So, you know, so the technology aspects have certainly improved and made that transition earlier or easier rather, but you, you definitely still need that, whether it's a mentorship model, whether it's an apprenticeship model, uh, you still need that, 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 that time and seat with the customer, uh, that time and seat with the market 
to to get a sense of, of how it truly operates and and what the nuances are. Yeah, it's it's interesting. So what we've what we've observed in the world of trade, I would say, um, is two things. One, that there's now an ability to um, use kind of tools that will let you create institutional knowledge that are built into your applications, which didn't exist before, particularly on the operations side. You know, so you can take any of these intelligent process automation solutions, for instance, um, and set them up to be catered to the manner in which your bank operates, right? And, and that was otherwise a subject matter expert who had 25 years of experience and could tell you, you know, based on uh, date and time exactly how you were supposed to handle this transaction. Now you get that kind of institutionalized. And I think the other side that I found kind of interesting is that there's also a whole new generation coming in that when we talk to them about trade, it's not just, hey, you know, you're going to get these physical documents sent to you with the coffee stains and, you know, you won't even know what a, you know, phytosanitary certificate is, that sort of thing. Instead, we're going to deploy you on the latest artificial intelligence solution. Exactly also kind of changes the mentality of what it, it's about, you know, what the world of trade and transaction banking is. It's much more modernized, much more interesting, which I think then appeals to a whole new generation, um, which is, is quite interesting. Um, and so I'll take that as a great transition point then to say, let's, let's talk about that automation side of things. I, I noticed in the survey, um, we had a couple of breakouts or couple of slides that we're talking about automation generally, use of artificial intelligence, um, use of intelligent process automation. Um, you know, what should banks be thinking about um, in terms of using those sorts of applications in the future? That's a, it's a big open-ended question, you know, take that as you want to, but there's, there's a lot of open space there. What do you, what do you think is top of mind right Sure, and the and the you know one of the things that's important is that the as we have this changing of the guard, um, the you know, being able to being able to bring up a mindset that is much more about modernization, much more uh, towards digitization, will help accelerate the efficiencies that we can see in the market and accelerate the use of of while not new in general, newer to certain parts of the banking world like automation, like artificial intelligence. So where should where should a bank start? Um, the the you know the, so I came from the banking and the consulting world, so of course my answer is going to be it depends. But the but one of the one of the key parts to one of the key parts to focus on is uh, is processes that are that are or have been very form-based, very paper-based. Um, so using a, a form of either automated or robotic process automation to, to handle that piece of it for you, to make sure that the forms are filled out correctly, that people have the right form, et cetera. That frees you up to, to take a look at more, uh, more advanced forms of automation. Uh, so, and, and even to move on to, uh, move on to holy grail items like predictive analytics and artificial intelligence. So being able to, uh, so back to the gray hair gut and, um, and spreadsheet, uh, be able to, to take the data that you've, that you've ingested through either an automated or a robotic process and compare that to historical data and say, you know what, um, I'm predicting that we're going to, you know, that this event will happen in the next 30, 60, 90 days based off of what I've seen. 
Um, that way, you know, you have a much better, uh, much better compass in terms of how you run the business. Um, and you know, as you look at, uh, as you look at predictive analytics, as you look at generative AI, which you know, is the hot topic right now, um, being able to aggregate that information, make predictions, um, and and save time for the practitioner by doing the analysis for them, um, is are certainly areas where we're seeing a lot of conversation, a lot of discussion, a lot of, of proof of concept, proof of value. Um, at the same time, you know, it's important to note that uh, that as you as you look at the data, the, um, the the adoption rates of the simpler forms of automation is quite high. Uh, the adoption rates of the more advanced forms of automation and, and artificial intelligence is quite low. The reason for that is that when you have a model that can answer questions for you, you need to know what questions you want to ask, what answers you're looking for. If it's simple automation, you can say, did I ingest the information? Yes or no. Robotic uh, process automation, is the form correct? Yes or no. But if you're asking, uh, if you're asking is the market going to grow by 10%, and the model says, well, it's going to grow by 20. Um, the answer technically is no, uh, it's not going to grow by 10%. So being able to construct the query, understand what you're actually looking for, becomes more challenging as you move up the stack in terms of sophistication in both automation and artificial intelligence. Makes, makes a lot of sense. I think there's going to be a, a ton of opportunity and movement um, in the artificial intelligence space and you know, generative AI. It's, it's, we're just at the a starting point there for sure. Um, so Andy, you know, kind of wrapping things up a little bit, um, what do you, what do you want to leave our audience thinking about um, today? You know, what, what should they be thinking about from a, a business standpoint as they head into their, their day tomorrow? Um, what, what kind of critical pieces are out there and, um, what should they should they take away overall from our discussion today? Sure, I mean there there are a number of facets to it. Um, one, you know, modernization is key. Uh, being able to keep pace with the pace of change is a requirement, not just a, it's no longer an option. Um, securing your data and your infrastructure goes along with that. As you create new opportunities, new data sets, those data sets have value, and you want to protect those uh, from those who might want to interrupt that uh, that value chain. At the same time, you know, infrastructures are aging. And so legacy infrastructure is one of the biggest barriers to modernization right now. So looking at ways to, to modernize your infrastructure, whether it's through replacement, whether it's through cloud versions of the, of the types of things you're already using, whether it's partnering with someone to make your, your back office more efficient, these are all areas of potential improvement. And then lastly, lastly, you know, look at that data. Uh, leverage that data, mine that data to uncover new opportunities, new trends, and, and you know, just as importantly, new threats to safeguard against. Uh, because the data is there, but again, you have to understand what question you want to answer to before you delve too deeply into it. Great. Andy, look, thank you so much for joining us today and offering your insights. Uh, this is a really good session. I think you, you brought a lot to the table. Um, as always, thank you to everyone listening in. Uh, and expect to hear from us soon with more insights from the world of trade and transaction banking. Thank you all. Thank you.